Welcome, you're listening to Midweek in the Word Sunday Recap. I'm your host, Jennifer Huber, and I'm the Communications Director at Faith Bible Church. Each week I'm joined with Pastor Brad, and we sit down and we go over Sunday sermon and then take a forward look into what's coming up in the next Sunday. Okay, Pastor Brad, here we are. 1 Corinthians 13. Yes, finally. We Last week I said I'd see you on the flip side, and we are on the flip side. We are. Uh, great message. So why don't you give us a recap of 1 Corinthians 13? Yeah, right. We the love chapter, right? Yeah. We're there. Everybody knows this. This may be the most well-known. You know, second of to like maybe John three sixteen, I would say most people have heard First yeah. Corinthians thirteen. Even if you're not a believer, I hear it at weddings. Yes, yes, which you hear we learned weddings is about a church, not it, wedding. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> right. As as much as as much as uh, husbands and wives need to remember what love yeah. is all really about, I, those in the church is is who Paul is writing to here and. You know, I had a conversation with somebody related to that this week, and it was like one of those things where I'm going, one of the best things you could possibly do for your marriage is to remember that your spouse is your brother or sister in Christ first, you know, and treat them the way exactly Paul tells yeah. the church to treat each other here in 1 Corinthians 13 as well. And yeah, we really we really talked about that. I, I, I tried to tie in the metaphor of the body from last week. You know, if the body and the gifts are the different parts of the body, mm-hmm. then love is what gives all of those parts energy. It's yeah. the lifeblood of the body. It's the lifeblood of the church. It enables and it makes available all of the ministries and all of the parts of the body to function correctly. And I think that's part of the reason Paul interjects it right here in this conversation mm-hmm. about spiritual gifts. Chapter four or chapter 12 is about spiritual gifts. Chapter 14 is about spiritual Gifts. Chapter 13 is about how love should motivate mm-hmm. and be the grid through which spiritual gifts are exercised in the church. So on Sunday, we talked about, first of all, how he lays out what the absence of love looks like. He's like, all of these ministries, these incredible opportunities without love really result in noisy nothingness. Yeah. They're, 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 in fact, they get annoying, really, mm-hmm. <laughs> if not yeah. motivated by love. They're just clanging gongs Did and symbols. Did you contemplate having a little symbol walk across, the, you know, having someone just clang a bunch of symbols as you were talking? That that would have been effective, <laughs> admittedly. I don't tend to think in those sort of I things. Know, that would have been a real kill. Um, but yeah, that would have exactly proven the point because yeah. his, his whole point there is that in order for our ministry to be effective, it must be motivated by love. Yeah. And so that reminder for all of us. Um, then we get into the actual section in the middle, four through seven, that talks about the evidence of love, right? What does that look like in attitude and in action? And our hope was that, that that would become our definition for love. Um, I've been reading a series on the Gospel Coalition entitled Expressive Individualism, okay. and it deals with kind of this idea that we create a definition for love and that we judge everybody else, including God, by our definition of love and by what that looks like. And mm. it really is, by and large, consumeristic. It's very self-motivated. It's self-fulfilling. It's all about the way things make me feel, rather than this sort of agape others-oriented, self-sacrificial, God-oriented love for the sake of another person that we're called to in Scripture. And so it was that reminder that when we come together as a church, because again, he's talking about the church assembling here in these sections of chapter 11 through 14. So when you come together as a church, our our attitude, our action, our aim of the assembly must be love. We must be motivated yeah. by a love for one another. Um, and then lastly, this this last section gets a lot of Gets a lot of ink spilled on it, dealing with kind of this whole idea of love never ending, the enduring reality of love. Love never fails. Love is eternal. Um, And I think the reason he speaks to that idea is he wants to remind them, first and foremost, where love comes from. That it's not something we generate ourselves. It's something that God gives to us. We love because he first loved us. Mm -hmm. But in addition to that, he's like the end of all of this will be a better understanding, a better knowledge, a better 
eternal love with God, right? I mean, like heaven is first and foremost the place where we will be God's people and he will dwell among us and we will know him and we will see him and we will, you know, I mean, that's the idea he's trying to put here. He's like, the gifts that you've been given are important and they're significant and they're manifestations of the spirit. But there's a point, there's a direction they're all headed. Like we look forward to the future reality of seeing face-to-face Christ and knowing love. That's that reference, that fully known yeah, yeah, I, I love that. I love that phrase, right? In verse twelve, for now we see in a mirror yeah. dimly, like we know where this is going, but we don't have it all figured out. Mm-hmm. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been known fully, right? It's that reality that Christ knows us in every possible way right now, but we still look forward to a day that we actually see Him and meet yeah. Him and know Him yeah. in a unique way. It's not that we don't have a genuine knowledge, but we have an incomplete knowledge. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not that the mirror didn't reflect a genuineness but it doesn't reflect it perfectly. And someday that's going to become a reality. So our gifts are given today to help sanctify us and prepare us for that reality. So gifts have to be exercised with that future in mind. And gifts have to also be tempered by the fact that this is not the ultimate reality. The gift of tongues or prophecy or anything else that he would list, it's, it's a means to an end, if you will. It's a means of sanctifying those who you will spend eternity with. And that's really important for us to keep in mind, and it really speaks back to that love idea of love being this lifeblood for ministry and this lifeblood for the church. Yeah. Without love, a church cannot be effective in making disciples. It cannot be effective in reaching people. It cannot be effective in sanctifying people. And it's not glorifying to God, ultimately, because yeah. it's not oriented toward him. Yeah, and that, that is something that you had mentioned, too, Sunday. You said you can serve in 12 ministries, be in the church eight nights a week, which I thought was kind of funny. I caught that. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> But if you're not doing it with love and you're doing it being self-serving, it it means nothing. Yeah. So you can give hours and hours, but if it's not from love, it means nothing. Well, and that's one of those areas that I think is it's it's a mental shift because sometimes we t- that's part of the reason we think of ourselves as loving. Yeah. So we're like, I couldn't be unloving because whatever I do is motivated. Yeah. I'm by giving love. up my eight nights a week. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> right. It must <laughs> be like nights. our motives must be pure. They must be altruistic, yeah. and 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 that's unfortunately that's not the reality of the human condition. Like, yeah. that's not the reality of our hearts. Um, it's it's interesting. It didn't make it into the message, but Augustine wrote on love, and he talked about how love must come from God and return back to God, mm. almost almost like the image of a boomerang, right? God it. loves us, yeah. and because he loves us, we are then able to love him. Yeah. And others are caught up in that insofar that our love for mm-hmm. God is expressed in a self-sacrificial love for others. If our love for other people must be um, must be symbiotic, if you will, must yeah. be give and take. You know, it's that idea of like, well, how do you make your love in your marriage work? Well, it's 50-50. Well, no, it's not. It's 100% and 100%. It can't be 50-50. I give a little bit, you give a little bit. No, it's like, I'm all in. Right. Right. And that sort of love comes. We are able to love other people that way when our love is first and foremost oriented toward God, saying, I'm going to love you out of an overflow of my love and worship for God. It frees us up from being like, well, I'll love you as long as you fulfill my needs. Yeah. Right. I'll love you as long as you meet my standard. I'll love you as long as I'm happy with what you're doing. Right. We don't. God doesn't work in conditional love. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? So God gives us love fully. We respond to him in self-sacrificial sacrificial responsive love, and other people get caught up in that love too. And it prevents our love from becoming consumeristic because it's like there's nothing you can do to either make or break my love for you because I am loving you out of a love for the for God. Like and that is what that's what guts the the narcissistic aspect of our love mm-hmm. because it's like there's nothing you can do. Yeah. 
to make this happen. There's nothing you can do to get me to stop loving you. Yeah. Because I'm loving you as unto the Father and, and unto God and unto Christ. And, and that's really critical for us to embrace. That's a really important reality for us to, to contemplate for ourselves. Um, because otherwise, it really does result in that consumeristic nature. We, we buy and sell people the way we would buy and sell products. Yeah. Is, is that part of our application? Is that part of our challenge this week is, is if, if you are not being motivated out of love in your serving and using of your gifts, how do we, how do we identify that? And yeah. then how do we change that? Yeah, I, I think the, the first thing to do is to, to self-diagnose correctly. Right? You know, like, be before you do. Sometimes we think that, like, our, our biggest need is to just go do more, just to minister more, right? Just to accomplish more for God. And it's like, if that, if that ministry isn't coming from an overflow of your worship of God, it's going gonna, it's gonna to falter. It's going yeah. to be a – it's going to be, well, who noticed me doing it this week? Or, you might run out of steam. Yeah, that's just it. It's not coming from that overflow. And so – like taking time to consider, like, am I, am I spending time with Christ? You know, am I, am I operating and learning what love looks like from Him first, before I try to turn around and go and do that? And it's it's not a matter of of you know waiting. You know, it's not like, well, I'm just not a mature enough Christian. I can't serve. Well, that would go against Paul's entire argument of every part of the body is necessary. More so, it's it's a charge. It's an encouragement to look at your life and say. I really struggle to love the way God loved me. I need to be spending more time with him. I need to be understanding, seeing better what love really looks like so that then I can go and share that with other people. And so I would encourage people to really consider that, you know, be like, where is my heart at? And, and my encouragement on Sunday was pray. You know, it's, it's yeah. no coincidence that the fruit of the Spirit starts with love, mm-hmm. you know, in Galatians 5. This reality. So, I mean, of, we, we should evaluate our hearts by this definition of love in, chapter, in verse 4 through 7. And when we come up lacking, which we all will, the, the means to encourage that is to spend time in God's word and to ask God to do in our hearts what only the Spirit can do. Yeah. Right? Sometimes we think that, like, the best way to be loving is to be more diligent in love. And while on some level it's not that we're not supposed to exercise diligence and we're not supposed to work, but the point is that like that is some that is a heart change that the spirit has to work. And so if you look at yourself and you go, I'm not that, confess that, repent that, take it to the Lord, know that that self-serving attitude has entirely been paid for with the blood of Christ. Yeah. And then ask God to do what only he can do. Yeah. You know, yeah. and and it it sounds really simple, right? It's not like yeah. everything is as simple. Uh, everything is as simple for pastors, right? You just read right. your Bible and pray more. Yeah. It's just easy, right? It's not. That's not how it works. <laughs> you know, it's not that it doesn't take effort. Yeah. Um, the other thing I would add human, to that is just like we all are. We all like I always say, we stand at the foot of the cross the same. That's it. Yeah. And and that's the other thing that I would that I would maybe add to this. In addition to spending time in prayer and spending time in God's Word, is spend time with God's people, meditating mm-hmm. on God's love. Part of the reason we gather every week as a church is to remind ourselves of these truths and to orient our hearts back to where they need to be. Yeah. You know, you can see other brothers and sisters that have gone through hard times and have come out with a deeper security yeah. and a self-sacrificial love. You can be encouraged by that. You can sing things that maybe you're struggling with, but you need to be reminded of by the other believers. You can sit under mm-hmm. biblical preaching of the word, you know, and mm-hmm. like these things are are – 
the means by which God sanctifies us, yeah. right? And so being among God's people is really critical, even for the idea of, of the diversity of the body that we talked about last week. Like there is a, there's a when you are forced to be, because people have said it before from Galatians 5, right? Like it's really easy to be loving by yourself. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like if when we're in isolation, if I'm sitting really at home alone. really got it together when, when I'm we're super driving loving. alone in our car, right? Yeah. We really got it together. That's it. You know, yeah. but I'm like, okay, yeah. so then I then I, I get married and it gets a little harder, right? <laughs> we and realize we because are I'm so selfish. starting to see where we don't have it together. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. So then I have some kids and I'm like, okay, this is even harder. Yeah. That, you know, yeah. then, then you I'm part of a church trials. and that makes it harder. Yeah. And Let's throw some more trials in there. Yeah. It it, it reveals yeah. the condition of our heart. You it know, does. it doesn't, it doesn't add anything there, but it reveals what's already there. Mm-hmm. And it reveals my own selfishness mm-hmm. and selfishness and love don't coexist well together. No. And so, so yeah, it's, it's not rocket science. And yet at the same time, it's, it's extremely hard and it's something that God has to do and we have to trust him for that. And to that, you, you said love needs to be the aim of our assembly. And mm-hmm. when you're speaking just now, it reminds me of that, that if that unbeliever were to walk into Faith Bible Church and we have assembled together, are yeah. they going to see a church that is loving? Is it tangible? Are they being honest with each other? And you even um, pointed us to, was it John or First John? Yeah, John. Well, I mean, we read First John because those first right. few chapters of First John yep. are very focused on that. But John in his gospel in chapter 13, yeah, speaks to that reality as well. Yeah. So anything else on the application side of Sunday's message that we should be aware of? This chapter is great in that it's so practical. Mm-hmm. You know, that's sort of the, like, yeah. you read through that patience, kindness, not envying, not boasting, not mm-hmm. being arrogant. These are not things that are hard to diagnose, right? These are not right. things that are hard to figure out. So most of us can read through that and get a pretty good sense for whether or not we're motivated by that, whether or not that impacts yeah. the way we operate on a Sunday morning in particular when the church gathers yeah. together. Um, it's more, to, what are you going to do with it? Yeah. You now, know. what are we going to do with this information? Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. great. This is the part where I usually ask five more minutes. What would have been five more minutes on Sunday? I don't know if the kiddos were turned around looking at the clock doing a countdown, but <laughs> no, <laughs> whether you got them or not, why don't uh, we take them today? I must confess, I was overtime again. Like, I get inspired, and I was like, <laughs> seriously, I practiced this thing on Saturday night yeah. and Sunday morning, and I think I was at 42 or 43 yeah. minutes, and then I got up Sunday morning, and... I think I was 50 minutes before <laughs> before it was all, <laughs> all, all right. said and done. So again, I took the extra five minutes and I still didn't have time to get to, you know, the classic thing that I really didn't feel like I was able to address. And I said this a little bit in the sermon mm-hmm. was this whole idea of the perfect versus the partial in yeah. verses nine yeah. through 12 when, when he writes that idea, right? For, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is interpretively kind of an interesting thing to consider. The, the idea of perfect there. Um, yeah. Is it, 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 is it a what or a who. Yeah, like that 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 perfect the 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 Greek is I don't know how to pronounce I'm not a Greek scholar but teleion, <laughs> right? And some people look at that and the, and they interpret it to be basically the the word, the canon, scripture, okay. right? So when the perfect, when scripture is complete basically is the way they read it, then that means that the miraculous gifts of prophecy and tongues and and things like that come to an end. And so they would argue that basically the apostolic age, the early church, um, when that comes to an end and, the, and the, the canon is closed, when Revelation is written by John, you know, and it's like, this is the end of it, then those things have come to an end and the miraculous gifts at that point have then ceased. And some mm-hmm. people interpret that based upon this idea of perfect here okay. in 1 Corinthians, okay. 1 Corinthians 13. I don't think that's the right biblical argument to make. 
Um, and I'm not necessarily saying cessationism versus continuationism, mm-hmm. but I'm saying I don't think that's what Paul is getting at here in verse 10. I don't think that's what he's talking about. I think it's far more appropriate to interpret this idea of perfect mm-hmm. as completed or the end. And so when he writes something, when the perfect comes, when the end comes, and we see the word, that teleion term mm-hmm. used elsewhere like that, I think it's impro- appropriate to look at it as this is the eschaton. This is eschatology. This is the end times. This is when Christ returns. He's looking forward to that reality. And that ties into what I said about verse 12, this idea of we see now, but we will then see face to face, right? Mm-hmm. I shall know fully, even as I have been known fully. Mm-hmm. Well, then is, when does that take place? Mm-hmm. Happens when Christ returns. So I, I think it's more consistent with the use of that Greek term to interpret it more looking forward to when Christ current comes mm-hmm. back when when we have the the second advent and his when return all will be made new yeah idea. precisely yeah. when when he instills his kingdom and and yeah. things come to a point of completion Old passed away and the new has come yeah that yeah. perfection sort of an idea i think that's better i also think it's more contextually consistent because i'm like paul is not writing with that sort of an idea in mind he's he doesn't have the idea of scripture and the canon, that's totally foreign to what he's talking about here in 13. It's not that Paul doesn't necessarily speak to that Mm -hmm. elsewhere in scripture. It's just that that's not what he's talking about here. And it seems strange that he would all of a sudden bring that up somewhat out of context. Um, So that feels a little bit odd, but I, I would argue it's more contextually consistent. I also would go Where's Paul going in his overall argument in 1 Corinthians? He's headed to chapter 15. He's headed to talking about the resurrection and the return of Christ. Right, because we need to look at Corinthians as a book. Bingo. We need to look at it in the context. Right. Paul's not writing these random themes. I mean, yeah, he's addressing different concerns, Mm -hmm. but there's a trajectory and there's a logical argument for his for the point he's trying to make. And so he is headed that direction. So to introduce that here in verse 10 of chapter 13 feels arbitrary. Yeah. It feels kind of strange. That's a good point. Yeah. And so like that being said, I we can argue for cessationism. We can argue that the gifts have that certain gifts have stopped operating, both from experience and from the broader argument that Scripture makes. Yeah. You could even argue, maybe from verse nine, this idea of we know in part and we prophesy in part, or farther down as far as the way things have been concluded. You could argue from other, but to argue it from verse ten, I just don't think is a valid biblical argument. And even people that I was reading on cessationism that are cessationists that mm-hmm. believe the gifts have come to an end. Mm-hmm. They're like, this isn't the verse to go to. This doesn't make the argument. You've got to make this argument in okay. a different way. And so that's what I was trying to communicate to people on mm-hmm. Sunday is there's a better way to make that argument mm-hmm. from the breadth of Scripture, regardless of where you fall on the gifts in particular. Yeah. I um, do recall you saying that this is probably not this argument. That's that's the yeah. point I'm trying to drive home yeah. there. So depending on what people are – again, one of, the, one of our philosophies when it comes to hermeneutics, when it comes to the way we interpret the Bible mm-hmm. – is you can preach a biblically accurate sermon from the wrong text. Right. You know what I mean? Like you can say something right. that's biblically true, but if you say it from the wrong place in Scripture, from a text mm-hmm. that isn't actually saying that, mm-hmm. you're kind of twisting Scripture to make it say what you want it to say. Right. Um, and it may be faithful and it may not be heresy and it may be fine, but it's also not what the text is saying. Yeah, we have to be cautious of that. Yeah, and so yeah. I don't think here that's what the text is saying. Um, and I obviously didn't have time to address that too yeah. much on Sunday. Yeah. No, that's good. I appreciate you going back and talking about that a little bit because I did catch that in your message. You're saying I'm not I'm not leaning one way or the other right now, but I just want to make the, the point that this might not be the verse for the argument. And yeah. I appreciate you staying 
our focus is that we're in 1 Corinthians, and the best way to do 1 Corinthians diligence is to stay within the context of the book and when it was written, where Paul wrote it, and what was going on at the time. I believe so. So how do we then go 1 Corinthians 13 and move into 14? I kind of I kind of pictured the sandwich. Uh-huh. <laughs> I always yeah. like my food analogies. You got your... Your little, your piece of bread, your meat, love, that's what's important. And then we're going to go back and put the top on and talk more about gifts. So yeah. how are we going to transition into 14? Yeah, it's... And if my sandwich analogy stinks, <laughs> you can throw it out the window. <laughs> well, I don't know what people's preferred sandwich is, so I don't know about that. But yeah, it, it is a sandwich. ice cream cookie sandwiches? There my daughter go. would like those. There yeah. you go. Like it, it is definitely a sandwich. In fact, the yeah. way he starts off verse, thir- or verse 1 of chapter 14, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Mm-hmm. That should sound familiar, right? Okay, two things. Because he said earnestly desire the higher gifts. Exactly, okay. and I will show you a still more excellent way. Yes. In precisely the reverse order, okay. verse 31 of chapter 12, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, same mm-hmm. word, desire there, and I will show you a still more excellent way. So there really is a parenthetical, if you will, here. It's not that chapter 13 is some strange thing that he's introducing to the text. It's not that it's bizarre. It's absolutely fundamental core to the argument he's making. But he brought up a subject, And he's going to bring that to an end in chapter 14. And so he says, but wait, before I tell you how that should look in your church, Mm -hmm. before I talk about an orderly operation of the gifts, let me remind Mm -hmm. you that it must be motivated by love. And so he talks to these two things that are contingent for our motivation, right? Pursuit of love and then earnestly desiring spiritual gifts. So we are back. He's covered pursuit of love. Now he's going to talk about, okay, how do I earnestly desire the the spiritual Mm -hmm. gifts? How do I earnestly desire the higher gifts that he was talking about at the end of verse or of chapter 12? And, and so he's going to go into that. And essentially, the beginning of chapter 14 is this, this working back and forth. He's going to say, let me give you an example of this. Mm-hmm. Let me compare tongues, mm-hmm. this gift that you're so thrilled with, mm-hmm. with prophecy, mm-hmm. uh, an exhortation to, right? And especially that you may prophesy. He's going to encourage them. Why is it that he's preferring that they pursue prophecy as opposed to pursuing tongues? Not because tongues is bad. Right. It's going to be interesting as we're going to walk back and forth through these between these two things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would, I would encourage our listeners that as, as they're getting ready for Sunday, as they're trying to prepare their hearts for it, um, do a little background work. Because this idea of tongues is, is really something that we see in different places in Scripture. This idea of language yes. is really intriguing. He's going to quote from Isaiah 28, 1 through 13. Okay. And in, in that context, as he, as he quotes from that, he's speaking back to a time when basically foreign invaders were coming into Israel. And he said, mm-hmm. you're going to be conquered and there's going to be people speaking strange tongues. Mm-hmm. It's, it's an indication of judgment. And if you think back on that theme, this idea of confusion and judgment coming through languages being mixed up. This reminds me of this tower that was built. Bingo, right? (laughs) Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9, the Tower of Babel. Nobody could communicate. That's it, right? So so God comes in and as as a method of judgment, because they think they don't need him and they're they're more Mm -hmm. important than him, he comes in and he mixes up their languages. From that point on in human history, languages have been mixed up and mixed up and mixed up and mixed up, right? And in Isaiah 29, he says, okay, these different languages have resulted into these different cultures, and you're now being judged by this other culture, and you're not going to understand what they're saying. Think about that in light Mm -hmm. of Acts 2, the day of Pentecost, right? God undoes Mm -hmm. this confusion in the redemption and Christ in the sending of the Spirit, and now you have the appropriate use of tongues. You have people speaking languages that they've never known so that people would come to a saving knowledge of the gospel. Right? Yes. That's the motivation. It's not self-aggrandizement like it was at the Tower of Babel, right? right? It's now this reconciliation of different cultures and different peoples as their languages are being spoken in their way. Hold on a second. These guys aren't, they're not from where we're from. How are they speaking in my language? 
Like, how does this make sense? And that's precisely, I think, Paul's understanding of tongues appropriately used, right? One of the things he's going to mention here is he's going to be like, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, right? Unless it's being interpreted, then it makes sense, right? right? And so essentially... so I would encourage our listeners mm-hmm. to go back and read Isaiah 28, 1 through 13. Okay. Read Genesis 11, 1 through 9. Read Acts 2, you know, and, and that whole consideration. And consider this idea of confusion is what God brings in for judgment when he's judging the people. But when there's clarity and on the gospel proclamation, that's also what God does to, to redeem people. Yeah. That's great. I want to go read that right now. <laughs> that's that's my hope. Go, go and read some of those sections, <laughs> and I think you'll understand better. Yeah. I won't be able to go to all those texts when we meet on Sunday, but I think you'll understand yeah. better the trajectory of where this is all going. I'm not sure I've to put those pieces together until now, so I'm excited to go and do some studying myself and, and, and get ready for Sunday. So anything anything else for Sunday? No, I think okay. that's it. Just, just come prepared okay. to think it through because yeah. there's, some, there's some challenging – arguments as he speaks to, okay, what does this mean and what does this look like and how broadly is this applied? Do we need to say the line forms here after the service? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I've given people the opportunity to do that before and I haven't had a lot of takers on it. I'm always welcome to having people send me emails at my email address or meet me after church and have a discussion on this. I can't guarantee I'll have all the answers, but I'm happy to have a conversation. And that's what I appreciate about you, Brad, is that you're willing to sit down and talk and learn. And so thank you for your heart. Thank you for your diligence as always to the text. And we'll see you next week. My pleasure. I'll be here. Thanks for listening to Midweek in the Word Sunday Recap. This is a production of Faith Bible Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. We'll be back next week with a new recap and a forward look to our Sunday sermon. Make sure to like and subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. We leave you with this encouragement out of 1 Corinthians 1.9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We'll see you next week as we sit down with Pastor Brad for another episode of Midweek in the Word Sunday Recaps.